Welcome to Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and high-regulated industry. We're talking fintech, regtech, sextech, and more with thought leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world to share insights, trade viewpoints, and get us all thinking about responsible innovation. And here is your host, Dara Tukowski. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and highly regulated industry. Today, we are talking about electronic signatures. I know everyone gets so excited when we talk about digital signatures and contract signing, you know, and all the things that uh, lawyers like me get really, really geeked out about. But lucky for me, today I'm in very good company because we have another person who gets very geeked out about the advancements in digital electronic signatures um, and how to keep business running, even in the midst of all sorts of uncertainty, global pandemics and the like. Matthew Gibson is joining us today, the co-founder and CEO of Syngraphy, the compliant virtual signing platform. Welcome to the show, Matthew. They're very pleased to be here. Awesome. So high level. Matthew, there are so many different uh, directions that we could take today's conversation, but at its core, Syngraphy is, right, a virtual signature, electronic signature platform, right? Yes, that's correct. It's been built a bit differently, but yes, that's what we are. Oh, we're going to totally get into how different, <laughs> how differently, um, uh, you know, the products and offerings have been built. But, you know, if we take a step back and and think about the concept of signing something, virtually or electronically or any way other than holding a pen in your hand. We've been doing that for some time, but it hasn't really been that long, has it? You know, it's uh, you know, uh, sort of showed up on the scene probably at around 2010 in a new sort of meaningful way. Uh, and for the other lawyer nerds out there, you know, I, I when I think about electronic signatures, you know, I think about the Electronic Signatures Act, right? The e-sign act that, Oops. you know, we all uh, know, know and love. That was only passed in 2000, right? So if you really think about it, the idea there, well, there wasn't even any legislation about whether or not a quote unquote electronic signature was a valid signature until, you know, 2000. Yeah. And even since then. It's not as though there was this widespread adoption back in 2000. So I think, right, as Matthew said, it's really only become popular, popular for probably about the past 10 or so years. But then, uh, you know, during the pandemic, when people were physically separated, I don't know, at least from my perspective, there just seemed to be a renewed focus and emphasis on the need to be able to conduct business efficiently and compliantly at a distance. Absolutely. There was a movement toward digital transformation that's been sort of the holy grail description of what companies want to do across a broad range of industries. Um, I mean, your particular focus on highly regulated industries is a good example of how e-signatures, from our perspective, the uh, you know what's available in the market today that's really different than what we do. The e-sign act actually states that a fax sent to an office is a legally binding document that can be considered the sort of equal to ink on paper. And while business may want to do that, I'm pretty sure that the compliance officer and the legal officer of that company would say, there's no way that we're going to do business for meaningful material transactions using a fax. <laughs> so, um, I think that's fair. And that was some, that's something that, you know, I would likely advise against as well. <laughs> 
And so w- when e-signatures came on the market back in, you know, again, roughly 2010, we have to sort of transport ourselves back in time. It's easy for me. I'm an old older guy. Um, and we have to remember that the iPhone was released, the first iPhone was released in 2007. And so when you're taking a look at the eSign Act of 2000-2003, meaningful entry into the market of e-signature solutions in roughly 2010, really what was available to people when they were building the first generation of e-signatures was a keyboard. There weren't capacitive touchscreens. There weren't Wacom tablets in every office. There weren't ways in which you could actually capture something more meaningful, um, something more biometrically accurate, because really it was early days and the hardware that wasn't there to support it. There was no unlocking your phone with Face ID. No, there wasn't. Um, But the digital, I mean, paper... The only thing that's wrong with paper, realistically, from a, a compliance perspective, it's probably still best practice, sort of the gold standard of a transaction. What's wrong with it is it's incredibly cumbersome, lumbersome, costly. Um, it, it delays time. I mean, distance is an issue. Um, so, I mean, if we could have paper that was highly efficient, easy to use, um, a better iteration of itself, um, that would be extraordinarily valuable in material transactions, highly regulated industries, consumer protection. Um, and that's really what we've built. And we, we weren't constrained by the lack of hardware to build what we've built. So I, I we're in a moment, we're going to get into exactly what the product is, what it does, why it's different. But I feel like in order for listeners to fully appreciate how cool what you guys are doing is, is to take a step back for a moment and think about sort of our biometrics and identity generally. And I think that sort of feeds nicely off of what we were just talking about in sort in terms of um, the evolution of mobile phones and technology and how really our lives day to day have changed thanks to our unique biometrics and what we're able to now do safely, securely, et cetera. I know when I talk to people about biometrics, People get that your face is a biometric identifier. They get that your eyeball is. They get that your fingerprint is. I think fewer people appreciate the idea that our signatures are a form of biometric identity. I mean, what what's your sense? Um, it's actually the most advanced, secure form of a biometric identity. I mean, we've all heard the stories of their kids taking their dad's iPhone while he's sleeping on the couch, opening it up, and buying a new car. And we've had fingerprints being pressed into iPhones to unlock them at border patrols. I mean, all of those biometric um, indicators of identity that you've described, other than the signature, can be taken from you without your permission. Signatures have to be given. The unique thing about a signature as a biometric, a signature is unique to you, but it's also uniquely different to you every time you use it. No two of your signatures, even though it's unique to you, are ever the same. And so we as a company took all the best parts of ink on paper and built that into a highly secure, um, friendly user experience, uh, robust, easy-to-use way of putting biometric ink into a digital document in the cloud. And you can rely on it from a biometric perspective that the signatures in that document, we know what page it belongs on, if it's been moved, 
whether or not it's the original signature went into the document because we track unique changes in your signature as you apply it to confirm your identity and your intent. Okay. So I am desperate to know how you guys do that. So I, I want to hear all about the products and the offerings um, and why they're different than the than the sort of like typical sort of click here, type in your name, click, 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 that frankly, we've all gotten very, very used to, right? Whether it's DocuSign or Adobe or, you know, fill in the blank sign.com, whatever it might be, they're all sort of variations of one another. Yes. Why are you guys so cool? You got to tell us the secrets. We refer to everything else in the market as a proxy signature platform. And again, that goes back to what available technology uh, was there when they were building their platforms. And that was a keyword. We came into the market from a completely different industry, and that was the book publishing industry. Um, the other co-inventor of the technology or the, the know-how and um, patents and intellectual property behind it is Margaret Atwood, who is an author. And as an author, she wanted to be able to meet and greet her readers around the globe without having to get on a plane. But she wanted a high-touch value deliverable that could only be sort of gifted by being able to send her handwriting to a physical book somewhere else in the world. And so my first task was to build a machine that could actually do that. The closest thing we could find was a sort of remote surgery, but it would have actually been easier for us to build a remote surgical technology than it was <laughs> actually building our what we refer to <laughs> as the long pen. And the long pen has been in production um, for you know well beyond the start of this company in 2013. And we have embedded all of that know-how. And again, we've been filing patents since 2004. But we've embedded all that know-how of how to send biometrically accurate handwriting across the internet and outputting it as legitimate, forensically defensible handwriting. And so we were a physical hardware, physical ink on paper company for quite some time. And in 2013, it occurred to you know the geeks in the company, hey, if we're, if we're doing this to paper, why wouldn't we just leave it in the cloud on a digital piece of paper, knowing that it is actually ink on paper and you could rely on it as such. And so really what we've done is we've taken all the best parts of the security of the transaction on paper and we've built that into the inked platform, uh, which offers a number of different ways in which you can, you can execute documents and a number of different features that were unique to us when we initially launched. For example, the video signing room. You and I are sitting here today on a computer, and Lord knows if we go back to the COVID-19 catalytic moment, right. uh, Zoom went through the roof, Teams went through the roof. I mean, you, you name all of the different businesses that were video platforms, and they became front and center. The question then was, uh, how, how do you actually tie in a meeting that we're having here today with a document that we may want to sign? So we, because we started in publishing and video and writing, um, filed IP for a video signing room that allows us to share a document, allows me to send you a link to your smartphone, allows us to review the document together, record the session, collect signatures, and be done. And so it, it becomes a true virtual closing. 
Right. Yes. Right. If we're talking, let's pretend we're buying a house or closing a transaction of, of whatever flavor. You can actually truly do that virtually instead of sitting there um, and waiting for people to sort of click buttons on an amorphous platform. Yes. And, and the nice thing is it's, it's all consolidated in one unified platform, which means that everything that happens in that environment from a metadata perspective is captured in the background for an audit trail that is, um, again, we will refer to as a vested class audit trail, which will tell you how long you've spent on page one. You know, did you read that section that you were supposed to read or did you just zip through the document? Now um, we add geolocation, we have IP, we have, the amount of data that we collect on a transaction is enormous. But in the video signing room, the best part of it is, is that we record you signing your biometric name, signature into your phone, which we track its location and IP address, and you sending your unique signature into the document, and that signature being applied is recorded. And there you are saying, here I'm sending my signature. And so if the transaction ever challenged, which is usually the, that's not my signature or that's not the document I signed, Syndrome. then you just play back the video. And it's going to be enormously difficult. It sort of improves an in-person signing by recording a session where no one can say, I didn't or it's not me. So this begs the question, who loves this most? Is it the lawyers? Is it the business people? I mean, there's there's so many different benefits to different interest holders, uh -huh. right, in the transaction. The reasons I might love it might be very different than the reasons my clients might love it. So what's been the what's been the response, the adoption since you guys have sort of launched this truly compliant sort of virtual electronic signature? Availability. It was interesting enough. All of those reg highly regulated industries that first found interest in it, and that that you know we provide, as I've said, everything from signing physical documents through to video signing rooms, through to e-signatures. Um, we have uh, notarial service capabilities. We're now launching in uh, Q1 a KYC IDV front end that's fully integrated into the signing sessions, so we actually do know who people are. So who adopted it? It was uh, a government, actually, that adopted it first um, in its physical form, and that physical form was expanded into a couple of uh, sort of high-profile social networks, uh, one of the top 10 banks in the U.S., a number of banks in Canada. Where it's really shone is, for example, we're in insolvency in debt facilitation. And when you take a look at that, what you're dealing with is a consumer protection issue for vulnerable clients. And as a, as a regulator, uh, when we were talking with the regulators here in Canada, their historical way of, of um, auditing a transaction, if there was a, a problem perceived, was to put one of their auditors in a car to drive to the location of the insolvency office, to dig through banker's boxes, to try and figure out what actually happened, to interview people. And when we presented our solution to them, their immediate response was, do you mean that if we wanted to audit something, we could just be sent a link and we could watch exactly what was said and what was promised? Did the um, you know, insolvency agents operate within the regulatory expectations? Uh, and so while we started at the high end, we also, for example, um, 
are easy and fast enough that we can handle almost any kind of level of transaction. And we do actually offer a type to sign, but we also give our clients the ability to suppress any of those lower signing methods okay. for highly valuable transactions. So it's an incredibly flexible um, platform. It's interesting. Consumer protection and consumer financial service is an area that I spend a lot of time in, sort of personally, mm-hmm. um, as as a practice. And particularly when you're talking about, uh, you know, debt products, um, particularly ones that get reported to credit reporting agencies that, you know, impact uh, consumers' credit scores, so on and so forth. So much of the sort of uh, disputes and complaints that arise out of the hundreds of millions of transactions that are conducted every day are, I didn't apply for that card, that's not mine, all sorts of incident incidents of fraud, identity theft, so on and so forth. And in order to open a credit card, open a line of credit, get a mortgage, so on and so forth, you know, you have to provide all of this information. And, you know, a lot of the times those fraud disputes are are valid um, mm-hmm. and someone's identity has been stolen and you have a way to demonstrate, and, you know, it sounds like with your product, you really have a way to demonstrate that. And on the flip side, you also have the way to demonstrate whether or not those complaints are invalid or perhaps, you know, there has been an allegation of fraud, but very much in fact, there there was not. Um, And right now, as companies, I think, investigate those hundreds of thousands of disputes that come in, they don't have that much to go on because all they have is this sort of like static document, even if it's Mm -hmm. a digital document. And anyone could have clicked that. Anyone could have typed that. And there's just not the data necessarily available to give a company legs to stand on or respond sort of one way or another. Your product sounds like a very obvious solution for what is a very, very common recurrent problem that these organizations have. Well, it really does level the playing field for both sides. Yeah. It keeps everyone... Honest? Not Yeah, not to suggest that it's dishonest. Oh, no, no. You know, <laughs> excuse me. You don't have to suggest that there's dishonesty. I can suggest that there is, in fact, Fantastic. dishonesty. But right. but it's dis- but it, it, there's dishonesty across the board. Yes. We have this data. We don't have this data. I signed it. I didn't sign it. Mm-hmm. This is just a very, it seems, a very elegant solution to making, to keeping everybody honest, to keeping the transactions honest, and at the end of the day, getting to the right outcomes. Right, because yes. that—that's all anyone is supposed to want to do, and certainly that's what the regulators want—is the right and honest and accurate outcome. And that—that—that uh, and that, that will be proved by how you can defend the transaction. And so, um, if you take a look at the existing um, e-signatures in the market, they—they have audit trails that they refer to. We—we we have an audit trail that runs roughly six pages. It's not just a oh, this was the IP address, and oh, this was their email address. We ca- you know, we have triangulation of identity. Uh, before we even bring IBC or KYC um, capabilities to the front end of our platform. And so as COVID hit, uh, certainly we had a huge uptake in um, real estate and, um, you know, conveyance, uh, sort of high-value transactions. Sure. It couldn't be accommodated other than meeting somebody in a parking lot over a a card table and standing six feet apart as they watch so documents being signed. 
um so it's it's funny uh i'm i'm sitting here and i'm listening to all of these and as i'm thinking about sort of so many of the legal and compliance challenges that so many of my clients have it strikes me that you guys this is like a a v 6.0 down the road in case you guys are looking for you know brilliant ideas i have to imagine something like what you've built could be it's already gotten incredible value as it is in its in its current form but i think about the implications it could have for sort of point of sale signatures and all of those yep. other you know all of those other uh moments in time where you need to prove that it was the person who made that decision or took that action or um uh you know certainly would make my job a whole lot more interesting can imagine uh, I kill for the day where I get to use some Syngraphy data in a deposition, <laughs> you know, during a piece of high dollar value litigation. We'd be happy to support you in that. Uh, and, and, I mean, it really does come. We had, uh, we've had two challenges on a transaction um, and both of them stopped in their tracks when we provided our audit trail. I mean, that was really the end of it. It proved without question. what are going to do? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can go through and spend a whole bunch of money and still lose. And so we have built this really from the perspective of how can you, A, service your customer base with a high quality, easy to use, um, familiar process. I mean, we have to rem remind ourselves, perhaps with the exception of some very young people who are struggling with, uh, you know, actually signing it, their, their name in, uh, in uh, script, that your signature has been something we've been doing on paper um, for a very long time. I mean, the company named Syngraphy comes from Syngraphus, and Syngraphus goes back to the time of the pharaohs. And, you know, ink on paper has been it. And we agree, it's incredibly cumbersome. So we've just put it into a digital channel, and we are providing all of the security and more of ink on paper in a digital channel. Um. And would you say your main differentiator between some of the other, uh, I'll call for lack of a better phrase, the e-sign platforms that are out there now is really that trail and auditability is the manner in which you're uh, capturing the data. So what is what is it like the one or two things that are like, no, nobody else is doing this? Well, I can tell you what we've invented and released and okay. then in its finest form of flattery has been copied, <laughs> which is something you know we're looking at from an intellectual property perspective. But the video signing room that we have, which allows any number of people to gather one from their cottage, one from their car, one from their plant, wherever they happen to be. I mean, the, the concept of now driving downtown anywhere and parking your car for two hours at $30 and you know, dragging yourself up an, an elevator to an office that's airless a lot of customers today really just don't want to do that anymore. So the video signing room, aside from being the highest level of compliance and from our perspective, best practice in material transaction technology platforms, is uh, what we feel companies should be using as a standard. Because it is for those transactions, um, almost it, it is impossible to get out of a transaction if you agree to it. And the audit trail is certainly part of that. Recording is part of that. Your identity coming into it is part of that. 
there's your talking head on the video saying, hi, I'm Matthew, and yes, I want this mortgage, and I understand that if I default, it's going to go up by three and a half points. And you just can't get away from that. And it also really does reduce the likelihood of fraud, because anyone who wants to come in and try and defraud in a transaction for financial gain is not going to want to be recorded on video. Generally, the criminals don't like that in my <laughs> no, in my in 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 my experience. So yeah, so we've talked. We've certainly talked about and reviewed uh, the benefits. Any potential pitfalls that people need to sort of be aware of when we're talking about the digitization um, of these signatures and these biometrics. Um, on our platform, not that we've discovered, but again, we can always be wrong, and we are constantly improving. And we uh, we value and encourage client and customer feedback that really does go into our developmental roadmaps. And we, we're known as a very responsive company uh, that that does listen to their customers because what the the, the real world application and use cases um, are something. I'm a technologist. I'm somebody who solves problems for a living. I'm not a compliance officer. I'm not a lawyer. Um, we need our customers to tell us whatever they need, and we build it. And we've got a very robust platform right now that has been meeting the needs and the, you know, exceeding the needs of highly regulated industries, of standard transactions, of sending your kid to camp signatures um, for, for quite some time now, we're only adding more and more features to it and making it more and more robust as time goes on. I think if you take a look at the disparate, I think you described it as the Frankenstein, um, model where you (laughs) have one video, another e-signature, um, something else that you want to bolt onto it to complete transactions. A, from given that there's a technology out there that does allow best practice, if that does, um, you really have to uh, ask yourself, let's talk about e-discovery. Mm-hmm. Three years from now, when you have recorded it on one platform, have signed on another platform, have stored who knows where, how do you bring all of that back together? And so the, the risk to organization using the Frankenstein model, um, my description of a 100-mile-an-hour duct tape, um, is is how do you actually defend what has taken place in that running and screaming in all directions COVID time? Now, everyone's settled down a bit, and people are now meeting again, and there's they're all taking a bit of a breath saying, what can we do in the event that this happens again? And well, it's and interesting really- because, you know, companies have and they haven't. There are so many oh. companies that still have gone to, like, very much a hybrid model, you know, you talk about what the the different, um, you know, needs and requirements of a post-COVID workforce look like. People got very comfortable being home, working virtually. Many companies have allowed their employees to continue doing that. Um, you know, so it's it's not, it's certainly better. Um, but the dynamics of how we conduct business, I do believe, is forever changed. No okay. one's just going to sort of forget um, and I also agree that from an information governance standpoint, the Frankenstein approach probably leaves most CIOs losing sleep at night. I, I was going to say sweating through their pajamas, um, <laughs> but it's true. We've spent we had previously spent so much time mapping and consolidating um, and putting together really good information hygiene for organizations. Then you start having to use all of these disparate platforms and all of a sudden your map goes out the window, your data hygiene goes out the window, 
All of this data is now in so many different places. Some of it we have transparency into, some of it we don't. So from as a practitioner, I really love the notion that it's all in one place. It's recorded. It's audible. Here's the trail. Um, from a security and defensibility point, I think it's, I mean, uh, the nerd in me just think it's, it's great. Um, and I'm, I'm probably happy, happy to say that you likely have a, at least one new customer here. I hope Fantastic. you have lots more. I hope you have lots more after well, people listen to the episode. It is our hope, and it's been, you know, it's been terrific. I think that one thing we haven't touched on, but as a as a lawyer, you'll probably appreciate this, is aside from all these fantastic things I'm claiming that we can offer, and and I, we can actually back it up. Um, we've also disrupted the pricing model. That if you take a look at any of the competition out there that that uh, is working, what we refer to as sort of first generation e-signature technology, uh, it's all built on um, seat license. Okay. Now, we know that seat licenses of X number of dollars per month per year, that organizations are going to, going to minimize the amount of overhead carrying cost for seat licenses, so they share accounts. And so what that does is further um, distances right. identity and who actually signed what with whom. Add to that that um, it's not something you can write off as a disbursement. And how everyone looks for ways that they can actually pass costs along. So we actually came to market with a consumption-based model of pricing. Historically, when you had a contract that you needed signed before, you know, e-signatures and digital trans transport, you'd call a courier, or you'd slap a stamp onto it. And so all of our entire platform is built on a pay-as-you-consumer, pay-as-you-use model. And the only carrying cost you have, if you have seven um, lawyers in your office, it would be $3 a month just to have one administrator account. And you could light them all up, and you'd incur no cost until it's used. And so you can then take that as postage or photocopying or um, and pass that along as a disbursement because it's no longer a seed license. I like it. Um, very very small business friendly. For, I mean, all business friendly, but certainly small business friendly um, because so many right enterprise licenses for a lot of these other platforms are, they don't necessarily make sense or they're cost prohibitive. And, you know, you do always have those people who are, you know, sharing passwords when they ought not to be um, for, uh, you know, for reasons that they believe are justified. But it really does sound like you guys have thought about this from all the different angles and what makes the most sense and is most uh, secure, reliable, and efficient for your customers. I think that's fantastic. I wish I wish more companies did it that way. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, and, and certainly, I'd uh, be very happy to give you just a demonstration. We have demonstrations on our website uh, weekly of you know how the platform differs. Um, anyone can attend that, uh, and we'd be happy to sort of answer any inbound as a result of our. Um, uh, your gracious invitation for us to show up on your show. No, I, I think that would be fantastic. And we're sort of at the end of our time. So speaking of that website and where people can go see demos, if people want to learn more about the solutions that Syngraphy is offering, Matthew, where do they go? Website's probably step one. And given that we picked a very awkward name to pronounce as the company as opposed to the platform and its, um, its product, Syngraphy is spelt S-Y-N as a Nancy G-R-A-F-I-I dot com. Awesome. 
Well, if anyone is looking for more information, go visit that website. Once the episode airs, you can find information about it on Provoke.fm, on Tech on Reg. Follow us on LinkedIn. Matthew, it's been a pleasure. It was so great to meet you. Congratulations on your awesome products and uh, the growth of your company. Can't wait to see the new uh, e-notarization platform that gets <laughs> that potentially gets launched here in the U.S. Uh, in the coming quarter. And until next time, everyone, thanks for listening to Tech on Reg. Thanks, Sarah. It's been fantastic.